Well, we're going to uh, be looking together at a, a passage from the New Testament from 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 13. Uh, those of you that uh, go to City Reformed uh, might know that I preached on part of this passage about a month ago, uh, I did, uh, and, but there was a lot more going on I couldn't look at there, and as we thought about the topic for today, it seemed uh, good to return to this passage and, and expand beyond uh, what we were able to talk about in that sermon. So uh, I'm going to read this passage uh, to you, and then together we'll affirm this is God's Word. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 6, 13. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold then, now is a favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's path so that no fault may be found in our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet as true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, was having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to your children, widen your hearts also. This is the word of the Lord. I'd like to particularly focus on uh, verse 20. It says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. I thought of that as I thought of uh, Gavin's role uh, on the campus of the University of Pittsburgh. Uh, in some ways, what you're seeing here today is that Gavin is being commissioned 
not only by some people from City Reform, but from churches throughout our region, and we are sending him to the campus to work there. He's representing our presbytery, but even more so, he's representing Jesus. Paul, in reflecting on his own ministry here, says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. When Paul reflected on what he was doing in ministry, what he, what he believed was happening is that he was making an appeal for God. An, an ambassador is someone who is sent by a king or government to another land, and when they are there, the ambassador represents their home country. Uh, he or she uh, and ambassadors throughout the world represent many of the various countries and, and, uh, and kingdoms and states throughout the world, and, and they go representing the purposes of the country that has sent them. We, we see Paul having that sense of his ministry here. He says that God is making his appeal through us. He knows that as an ambassador, he has a message. He summarizes the message here in the second part of verse 20 and 21. He says, we implore you on, the behalf, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul believes he's been sent as an ambassador with a message from God, the king, and that message is one for reconciliation. That in the life and death of Jesus, there is a path for humans to be reconciled. And Paul sees it in his calling uh, to be out with this message, to be sharing this message, to be inviting people into reconciliation with God. An ambassador has a message and a purpose. But there's something else that's going on in this passage. As, as we understand the argument that's unfolding in the letter, the second letter to the Corinthians, the second letter that we have in the Bible, um, as we understand the argument that's unfolding, Paul is having a, a dispute, so to speak, with people in Corinth. He's trying to convince them of something. And this section we're reading today is part of that. Now, unlike some other letters, Paul doesn't seem to be focusing on a doctrinal dispute. Uh, for instance, uh, by contrast, in his letter to the Galatians, Paul is really concerned that they have misunderstood a core Christian truth, and he's arguing with them about that truth. But that doesn't seem to be the heart of the argument. When, when Paul says, uh, God made him to be sin who knew no sin. And when he speaks of the, of the gospel where Jesus on the cross became sin in our place, we don't get the impression that the Corinthians are arguing on that point. It, it seems from the letter that they may agree with him about these core Christian truths. The argument that they're having here is really about how Paul does his ministry. An ambassador not only has a message, but an ambassador also has a method or a way of doing things. And that actually is closer to the dispute that is happening here. Now, Paul, when he's uh, talking with the Corinthians, uh, is actually worried that they are being led astray to another group of leaders. And later in the letter, uh, this letter, he will call them, seemingly tongue-in-cheek, the super-apostles. Maybe that's what they called themselves. There were teachers who had arrived on the scene in Corinth, and they must have looked spectacular. 
Their hair was all, all done well. There was probably no grays in their beard. Uh, they were all well built and spoke uh, clearly with some of the, the you know, greatest patterns of communication. And I'm imagining a little bit, we don't have all the details, but we know from the letter that they were visibly impressive. And you look at their life, they seem to be people that had everything going for them. And we get the impression that they were moving from victory to victory as they, as they pulled up into the church in, in their nicest new sports car. It was a symbol, perhaps, of how successful they appeared to be. Here's someone with an impressive ministry. And when Paul showed up on the scene, the Corinthians, the Corinthians who had, had significant ministry with Paul before, suddenly found him to be underwhelming. Now, at this point, Gavin's getting nervous. Perhaps he thinks it's all a setup to <laughs> an apology for Gavin being underwhelming. That's not what I'm thinking about here. That is the background, however. The super apostles were on the scene, and, and Paul, making his argument to them, has to clarify. He says, I, I really think what you're doing is you are regarding people according to the flesh. That's the argument he starts with. You see that in, in chapter 5, verse 16. And this is the way he goes about un, un, uh, undoing that. He says, I used to think about people according to the flesh also, but I don't do that anymore. Now, we know that sort of argument, right? It was a fairly good technique. You know, I, I used to think the way you think. Let me tell you how I changed my mind. That's what Paul is doing. And what we hear in that and what we see in this passage is what Paul is actually doing here is he is extending his hand to them in invitation, saying, I want you to view this the same way I do. I want you to see ministry the way I see ministry. We're going to look at that in just a second. But here's what I think it's building up to. When Paul says, we are ambassadors for Christ, who is he talking about? Now, on one hand, it may refer to Paul and the other leaders that are with him, those that, that, that maybe are the not-so-super apostolic group. But as we look at the passage and we see his arguments, it actually becomes a little bit ambiguous who the we is. There is a we that's impl imploring the you of the Corinthians, but there's also a sense where Paul says in verse 17, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. He says, we have been reconciled to God and given the ministry of reconciliation. The picture he's painting here is not that the ambassadors are only the super special people, but the ones who've received this ministry of reconciliation are the ones who've been reconciled, the ones who are in Christ, a new creation. And I think what Paul wants them to do as they're hearing this is he wants them to be listening along and they're, they're recognizing, right, there's, there's Paul, he's arguing with us and we're, you know, we're, we want to respond to his ministry. But as he paints this picture of ministry, I believe that Paul is actually extending his hand saying, I want you to be the we also. You who have been reconciled. He's imploring them to know experientially in a really deep way the reality of being reconciled to God. But according to this passage, what does it mean to be reconciled to God? Paul says it means that you then have a ministry of reconciliation. 
What I'd like to do today is I'd like to just briefly look at the way Paul characterizes his ministry as we just glance back again at the passage. But I want to do it from that viewpoint. There is a sense in which Paul is an apostle and the Corinthians are not. But that doesn't really seem to be the highlight feature of the passage. After, after all, when Paul's sort of laying out the credentials of having a, a ministry of reconciliation, he doesn't go back to his calling as an apostle. He goes back to his calling as a Christian. We who have been reconciled. The basis for this ministry of reconciliation is a person knowing they have been reconciled. So as we look at the character of this ministry of reconciliation, I'm certainly hoping Gavin will be thinking uh, carefully about this. But I'm, I'm, I have a bigger goal than that. I'm hoping that you, Pitt, RUF, City Reformed, Pittsburgh Presbytery, would be thinking along with Paul, looking at this ministry of reconciliation and thinking, yes, I want in that also. Friends, the, the call of the gospel to make Christ known is not given merely to leaders, though there are certain leadership roles. It is given to all who are in Christ and is carried forward by his church. The embassy of God on Pitt's campus is Pitt RUF. It's not just one ambassador. It's the other Christian groups faithfully living for Jesus also. So we see here the character of an, amb an ambassador. We see the open door, the welcome in, the welcome Welcome to the embassy. Would you see with me this, this picture of ministry? And would you look for ways it could be uh, applied in your life, in God's call in your life as well? So let me just briefly look through some of the things that, that we see as we look at the passage. Uh, Paul says that the character of the ministry cannot be a, evaluated according to the flesh. And what, what does that mean? Now, it doesn't mean that Paul imagines that we can walk around and engage with people and pretend they don't have bodies, right? You could be, I can imagine someone has some sort of spiritual new age view or, or if you had a ministry that was just online and you were just like typing things to people, then maybe that would work. But the Christian faith is an embodied faith. The church is about people. Jesus himself lived as the son of God in human flesh. He was raised from the dead bodily. This isn't about the bodies. It's about how we view people relative to eternity. You see, whenever we view people according to the flesh, we see them only in the, in the narrow scope of time and the reality that we see right now. If I regard someone according to the flesh, it means I am regarding them only by what I see with my natural eyes. I see their story only in terms of the successes and the failures in the here and now. The alternative of regarding someone according to the flesh is to see them relative to God and his kingdom. Is to see them relative to the story that God is telling from the creation through the fall all through his redeeming power throughout human history until Jesus returns. When we regard someone according to the flesh, we, we think we can size them up by all the measurables of their life, their work, and their, their success in the world as we see it. And, and if you're doing that, the super apostles uh, would be hard to beat. They're these opponents of Paul. 
If you were regarding them by what, what the level they have now of success and power, invisible success, then they're doing pretty well. What does Paul's ministry look like? Well, not quite like that, does it? How, how, did, he, how did he describe it here? Uh, he says, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found in our ministry. All right, sounds good so far. All, right, all of us should be seeking to do that. Let's not put an obstacle before people for them to know Jesus. But what does the ministry then look like? When Paul's so determined not to put an obstacle in front of people, it means he endures suffering. Verse 4, chapter 6, But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonment, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. All right, not right now the super apostles are like, that guy's a loser. Right? I mean, clearly he's losing. Look at all this losing going on in the passage. He's getting beat up, thrown in prison, facing hardships. I mean, they were living the victorious life, or so it seemed. But Paul understood that in this ministry, that at times involved suffering, he was actually in the bigger story, bringing God's gospel to bear in human life. What do all these things have in common in other themes in the New Testament? Right? All of these difficulties. I'm, I'm facing difficulties in ministry. I'm suffering in behalf of the ministry. Well, quite frankly, it sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? Jesus would, would have incredible victory in his ministry. But if you saw him only according to the flesh, you saw an itinerant preacher from Galilee who showed up for a flash in the pan. He, he came into Jerusalem with a bang. The people cheered for him. But several days later, he was rejected, betrayed, abandoned, and crucified. End of story. I mean, if, you, if you regarded Jesus according to the flesh, what would you see? You'd see a, a big loser. But... Paul understands that to do ministry is to walk with Jesus, to share both in his suffering and in his resurrection. Jesus didn't, uh, didn't run from the cross, but he embraced this reality because through the cross he brought salvation to others. And there's the other similarity to Jesus. Look at, look at how Paul talks about the result of his ministry. He seeks in the face of all these things to continue with purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love by truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. How did Jesus continue in his ministry in the face of difficulty? The scriptures tells us that even though he suffered, he did not sin. He, he was able to pray for his enemies on the cross. He, he went to the cross while we were his enemies to give his life for us. He maintained faithfulness to God in the midst of opposition. So what happens with the suffering of Jesus? It brings life to others. Not only is Jesus raised, but in his resurrection, life comes to others. And so it is with those who are his ambassadors. It's often through our own suffering that life comes to others. 
That's what Paul goes on to say here, verse 8. Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing in the midst of suffering, the power of the resurrection is being made known. The power of the resurrection doesn't mean that, that Paul gets to do an end run around difficulty, but it means in the midst of difficulty, God in his spirit or work bringing newness and life and resurrection power. And here's the, the click kicker we have in closing. Not only does, is this victory of power, of resurrection happening in the life of the apostles, but it's particularly happening in the life of others. Verse 10, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Paul understood that his own life was often characterized by poverty and deprivation, but through that, the riches of the gospel are made known to many. This is what Paul's inviting them into. He says, I have opened my heart to you. Would you open your heart to me? Friends, for us to open our heart to this message is to embrace uh, not only the content of the gospel, but this picture of ministry as well. It means that sometimes ministry is hard. Sometimes it's difficult. And, And we don't always see the success we want to when we see it. You know, you were talking today, Gavin, about walking around campus and, and seeing the Cathedral of Learning, which is, which is awe-inspiring. And it's a cathedral, isn't it? And sometimes I think of how small the other cathedrals look in comparison to that. How small the other churches look, really dwarfed beneath this giant structure. There are times for sure all of us in, in, in our churches or in our, our fellowship groups, sometimes it feels like the world around us just towers over us. For, for all the you know, wonderful ministries happening at, at Pitt RUF, I'm sure it's not the biggest club on campus. So sometimes it can feel like you know, if we regard that according to the flesh, you're like, where are all the people? They can get tens of thousands of people for a football game until Pitt starts to lose and then the numbers go down and the stadium's half full. But you understand, even then, it's still kind of an impressive number. Paul says the gospel's being worked out not in the power as the world sees it. It's not going to be played out with you know, people having, uh, uh, showing up in all of the, uh, the pop music and, and TV shows and movies, but it's moving faithfully from person to person. As you and I embrace this gospel call in our lives, God is working his purposes in ways that are sometimes not easy to see. The spirit is at work. Paul says here, we are Chapter 6, verse 1, we are working with him. So when our lives feel something like what Paul's describing here, it doesn't mean that God is not present. 
In fact, it might be in those moments where we, we feel that we're struggling with endurance, facing affliction, hardships, and calamities, sleepless nights before our final exam. I mean, uh, as Paul was going out in prison, as we face these challenges in our life, we know that God's gospel power is with us, and the power of the resurrection is just around the corner. That the, the victory that God is giving is happening as we walk with Jesus in the face of difficulties. Friends, this invitation is, is not just for Gavin, but it's for each of us. Those who have been reconciled through Jesus have been given this ministry of reconciliation, a message of life for the campus and for the city as we walk with Jesus both in his power and in his suffering, he's bringing life through us to the world around us. Let me close in prayer.